mindfulness mode. Accepting what is and letting things go versus trying to control, which creates the pain for most of us. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Lankford. Mindful Tribe, today I'm with a best-selling author. I'm with a real estate guru. He is a self-made millionaire. I'm here with Rock Thomas today. Hey, Rock, are you in mindfulness mode today? I think I'm in and out of it, but uh, <laughs> I'm certainly aware of the times when, you know, when I'm more conscious than when I'm uh, on uh, complete autopilot, but not in a, you know, a constructive aware way. Well, Rock, I know you've studied with some of the world's best and most amazing teachers, including Tony Robbins and Jack Canfield, Wayne Dyer, and uh, you've done so much in this world. You're on a mission to inspire others to create their best life, and you have a Goalcast video that was viewed by well over 100 million people. I know that. You have done so many different things with a financial life. You have have an incredible podcast called Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Like, wow, you've just done so much. And a lot of it is kind of touching on mindfulness. It's, you know, there are different aspects of mindfulness. Rock, what does mindfulness mean to you? Well, I think that anytime that we're aware of the inner narrative, the conversation we're having with ourselves or things that trigger us, maybe from the past, like I remember I used to be the one kid that was outside raking the leaves and cleaning up the yard. I always wanted my dad to come out and help me. And then sometimes I put my kids outside to do the yard work with me. And I figure, well, I'm going to do what I wished my dad would do. And then sometimes before I know it, I'm the only one out there again, raking the leaves. And I become, I become acutely aware that I want to turn into my father's voice and scold them and make them wrong. And to me, that's that's an area of mindfulness when I can be vulnerable and I can go to them and I can say, hey, you know what? I grew up being the one person doing it and I was about to yell at you and make you wrong, but I'm being mindful and aware right now. And I would like it if you guys would not leave me alone out here and we could be a family can complete this together. And being able to be that vulnerable, I found that there's a lot more sense of collaboration and their desire for them to, you know, to work with me versus they're not going to listen to me if I get upset at them. They're no. going to come up with a reason. So that mindfulness to me, the triggers from our youth that show up later in our life, to me, that's a big part of mindfulness. Have you ever included your kids in any of the videos that you've created? Yeah. Yeah. My daughter actually is a videographer, so she videotapes a lot of it. She has her own YouTube channel. She has a, a TikTok channel, and she quotes me a lot, or she references things that um, that I taught them that at the time they didn't like so much, but today they find very, very useful. So yeah, my kids are, um, I would say quite well versed when it comes to personal development. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, that video that did so well that you produced and was shown to over a hundred million people, it was a gold cast video. Can you tell us a little bit about it? I remember I saw it a number of years ago and I was quite impressed with it. Well, it's about seven and a half minutes long, and it's a story basically of triumph over adversity and the story of a child, me, that grew up in an environment that being the youngest of seven children was, um, you know, you had to fight for everything you were going to get. Yeah. And there just was so little time for parents to 
make sure that your needs were being met, that you often felt neglected and abandoned. And um, my parents got divorced and my dad got remarried to a woman that lived on a farm. And so it was, it was kind of tough out on the farm. And then when I went to see my mom, who was a gypsy, she often wasn't around. So I got myself into trouble on the weekends in the city and I worked my butt off with my dad in the farm. And I grew up with a lot of negative beliefs around not being worthy and feeling ugly and feeling skinny and feeling stupid and feeling left out. But through the lessons of my mentors over life and having you know met people like Jack Canfield and different people that could draw on the wisdom, I was able to patch things together and pull out the what's great about this. In, you know, in life, if you do it as difficult, life will be easy. And if you do it as easy, life will be difficult. And most people don't realize this, so they, they all want to do easy. They want their parents to do their homework. They want all these easy things to be done. And then later they go into the real world and they have a tough time. Well, I was lucky. I got a lot of difficult growing up. And then when I went out into the world, I was like, what? We work 16 hours a day? Sure. Uh, clean that dirty toilet? Sure. And other people, oh, I'm not going to do that. And so for me, I started to get promotions and raises and, and partnerships and opportunities. And that led me to realize that I actually had a, a, a box of tools that had been given to me growing up that most people didn't have. So I've spent most of my life teaching people how to, you know, try this hammer, try this wrench, try this for a while, get 1% better. And I learned how to teach people how to get a little bit better because, they, you know, they didn't know it needed to go through the depths of difficulty I did, but they need to get outside their comfort zone. So I have a whole process for helping people grow and expand to be their best self. Yeah, we definitely have to get out of our comfort zone. What was your first experience with entrepreneurship, Rock? <laughs> um, I was about 12 years old and my brother was 14 and he had this really cool little, it's called a QA50, I remember. It was a tiny little motorcycle for kids. And he used to ride around it on the farm and he would let me sit on it and say, hey, you want to ride it? And I go, yeah. And I would sit on it and he would rev the throttle and then he would shove me off, literally like in the movies, jump on it and spin off and the dirt would fly in my face. Uh. And I remember wanting a motorcycle so bad after two or three times like that, that when the parents came out to bring their children to ride at our farm, I asked my parents if I could borrow the coffee machine and make hot dogs and coffee for the parents while they were watching their kids ride. Oh. And so that was my first foray at entrepreneurship when I was about 12 years old. By the day I turned 14, I bought my first motorcycle. Wow, that's very impressive. And what was your first motorcycle? It was what they call a moped, right? It's the ones oh, that yeah. don't go faster than 23 miles an hour and you're, you have to wear a helmet, but at 14, you're legally allowed to drive it. And then at 16, the day I turned 16, I got my first car. And at 17, I moved out. I learned how to become very, very resourceful. Yeah, wow. I guess you did. That's incredible. Well, I know I mentioned at the top of the show that you've studied with some of the most amazing world teachers. So tell us about that. Tell us about Wayne Dyer. When did you study with him and what was your experience like with Wayne? You know, I think I fluctuated from going from you know, the money mindset to the spiritual mindset and back and forth. And yeah, um, I learned a lot from uh, some of the people like Robert Kiyosaki and Robert G. Allen on how to buy real estate Yes, and how to get my money garden in place. I think a lot of people, you know, confuse, oh, you talk a lot about money, Rock. You talk a lot about money. 
actually talk a lot about money because we're in the money game, whether we like it or not. Yeah. And if you're losing the money game, it doesn't really do you very good. But if you win the money game and you don't take the time you have off to work on the spiritual game and work with people like Deepak Chopra and um, Wayne Dyer or go to India like I did on a spiritual retreat, then you probably are going to be out of whack. So for me, it was just this ebb and flow of going back between these different teachers, going to some of their events, getting some of them like Jack Canfield was my mentor on my first book. And it was a lot about just going to their events and then asking them, you know, would you be my mentor? Would you spend some time getting to their VIP tables and having side conversations with them? So it was a lot of that with these different leaders. In Tony Robbins' case, I gave him $100,000 and I became one of his platinum partners back in the day when there was only a few of us. Now I'm a trainer for him. So I really think proximity is power, like Tony says. So I kept on trying to get closer to people. Whenever I would come across a great person like yourself, Bruce, I would just find ways to spend time with those people and absorb the energy and their environment and their thought processes. Well, you talk about that balance between money and spiritualism. Did you ever have a problem with that? Did you ever find yourself just too immersed in the money game and with not enough emphasis on spirit or vice versa? Yeah, 100%. And it really, I found it came from our programming. You know, I grew up on a farm where money was very scarce. Sometimes I went to, to school with no lunch. And we did pretty good. It wasn't like, it wasn't terrible, but it was just enough to know that it, it doesn't, you know, literally the money does not grow on trees. And if you make a couple of wrong moves, you know, you got one serving a dinner. There was no seconds. There was no dessert. It was just so, you be, I became acutely aware that money was power and freedom. And at a very young age, I decided that I would do whatever it takes to have a lot more than I grew up with. So I pursued it very, very hard for the first 35 years of my life. Um, I became almost a millionaire at 28, lost it all, then became a millionaire at, at 34, and then on to multi-millions. Uh, and then I, I had to spend a little bit of time, frankly, Bruce, undoing what happens to you when you spend so much time focused on one thing. I was consumed by it. I worked all the time. I thought about it. I looked at my bank account every day. Uh, I thought about ways to invest. I thought about ways to save. So when you are what you repeatedly think, says Aristotle. And I thought a lot about winning the money game. So later in my life, there were phases and chapters. That's when I started to meditate more. I do yoga four to five times a week now. I spend more time thinking and being more still. And, um, and so that's been a process. Well, you wrote an incredible book called Epic Life Blueprint, and the subtitle is Quit the Rat Race and Create a Happier Life. And I was very impressed with that book, Rock. I really enjoyed reading it. And chapter five is all about changing your self-image. So let's talk about that. Did you have to set out uh, systematically to change your self-image? Yeah, I think that we all come to conclusions. Bruce, growing up, somebody says to me, you'll never, you'll never amount to much. Or if you wear glasses, you're four eyes, or you join the chess club, you're a nerd. So we get these labels that are offered to us. Mine were pizza face and bone dog. And so I grew up thinking I was ugly and skinny and not worthy of anybody's company. 
And so over time, I had to rework the wiring, rework the programming, rework the labels, and seek the evidence that would substantiate that because we are evidence seekers. If we get enough people telling us that we're smart or beautiful or funny, and then we continue to seek out that evidence and we start to behave that way. If somebody says to you, you're funny all the time, you go to a party, you're going to crack a couple of jokes because your identity says, I need to be funny. You're going to want to be you know, congruent with that. So I teach a five-step process for people on how to change their identity. I went from you know pizza face and skinny kid to modeling Clint Eastwood and ruggedly handsome and strong and confident. So I followed that five-step process to do that. I also went from working hard as a farm boy to working smart by learning how to lead, inspire, and hire people in my various companies. I have multiple streams of income now. But that was truly an identity shift. And if you imagine you have 100,000 files in your brain that says you're X, you're a nerd, or you're, you're not athletic, or you're super smart and funny, whatever it is, the ones that are disempowering, you need another 100,000 deposits to wipe that off the hard drive. So it is a process of reinstalling and reinvigorating and surrounding yourself with people that are going to, you know, confirm that for you. Whatever you want to move toward, you know, Bruce, you're a podcaster. There was a day you weren't a podcaster, right? That's true. The more that people surround you and affirm to you, oh, Bruce is an awesome podcaster. He has great guests. He's such a great interviewer. He asks good questions. He's a fantastic listener. And the more that you get the evidence for that, the more you start to feel that's part of who you are. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. It really does. Yeah. Chapter two in your book, you talk about build your raft and, uh, you know, tell us, tell us about that. It's R-R-A-F-T. Yeah. So goals, you know, they create a, a destination for you. And yeah. sadly, most people don't have more of a destination than getting through the day or maybe getting through the week. Yeah. Uh, getting to their next holiday. So there's not much of a global plan. It's not like they're going to, you know, chart a, a boat from, say, from Los Angeles and head over to Hong Kong and everything has to do with it. So I really help people decide where they want to set a goal to work out that day or meditate in the morning all the way through to their life plan. So the first R stands for what's the result that you want? Lose 10 pounds or become a millionaire. The second R is the most important piece. And that talks about what are the reasons that you want? And the more you can fill that container with a lot of reasons. Remember when I, when I had that desire to get that first moped, that motorcycle, I had a lot of reasons. I had a lot of pain associated to being left out, humiliated, missing out on fun, you know, being ignored, not being included, not being cool. There was a lot of emotional energy there. Yeah. And that's what's going to carry you across to obtain your goal. So you need to spend a lot of time. And we use pain and pleasure in that department. And we go into a deep dive in the book. The A stands for actions. So the action was work every day after school and every weekend doing odd jobs and save every penny and spend very little. So the actions will come really easily and clearly when the second R is robust and full. If you have a sick child, you don't need a lot of people to tell you what the action is. Right. You're going to try rocking it, burping it, feeding it, changing the diaper, putting it on the washing machine, driving around in the car, going to the hospital, going to the doctor, pediatrician, get out of the way, here I come, right? Yeah. The actions are really easy when the emotions are high. Problem is right. most people don't emotionally front load their goals. So like, ah, oh, I'd like to get in shape. 
then there's a snowstorm. It's hard to get to the gym. They're like, ah, I'm not going to go today. Yeah. Right. Right. And then the F is one of my favorite parts, which is feedback, right? There's no failure. There's just feedback. So you constantly measure and we teach people the three power questions to ask themselves to the same things the pros use in order to denote how to improve on a consistent basis. And then the T stands for thrills. It's just really lock in something that you're going to reward yourself with. Life is too short to be boring and just check another goal off. Overachievers do that. Have something, you know, you're going to go for a run with your dog. You're going to get an ice cream cone. You're going to go get a massage. Something that's, you know, congruent with your values. It's not like lose 10 pounds and I'm going to go eat a piece of cake. That doesn't make sense. No. Right? So it's a five-step process. I'm a process person. When you put people into process, they don't have to so much focus on the failure or success. When you focus on the process and taking the next step, then they can win every day. That is so true. That is so true. I want to ask you, Rock, what kind of mindfulness did it take to put that book together, to make that book a reality? Gosh, um, great question. It, w- it, was, it was really through repetition. So I, I'm a speaker and a trainer and a coach, and I would go out and... I think the year before I produced it, it was 109 talks I did in a year or something. And I have a process after every talk where I write down what worked, what didn't work, how could I do better? And through that journaling process, I started to notice the same things that I was saying in my talks and in my coachings that were working for people. Uh And I started to go, okay, every person I talk to that's struggling, I tell them that they need to spend 30 minutes a day studying something in that subject. They've got to enrich in their mind. Every day, the time I talk to somebody, I find out they don't have a clear goal and they don't have enough reasons. So I need to teach them how to set goals. Every day I find out they have limiting beliefs. We're gonna identify the top three limiting beliefs in that area. Money doesn't grow on trees. You have to work hard for your money, whatever it is. I'm too old, I'm too young. And then we're gonna nurture that and create a new empowering belief. So I took my top 10 principles Mm -hmm. and I said, what are the 10 things that people, if they follow them, will succeed. A rule is like a shortcut. Have you ever had the misfortune, Bruce? Probably not, you're too elegant, but I I know some people have had this misfortune of congratulating a woman on her pregnancy when she wasn't pregnant. Oh yeah, that would, I don't think that's happened to me, but I know it has happened to a couple of friends of mine. And oh man, yeah, talk about embarrassing. That would be a very embarrassing situation to be in. So there's a rule. You never congratulate a woman on her pregnancy unless you're 100% certain. Yes, there is that rule. So the reason that we create rules is because when you break them, there's a lot of pain. For sure. So I created 10 rules that if you break them, you will definitely retard yourself on your goal towards success. So that's why I call them the top 10 rules of success, because you don't want to break them and get embarrassed by calling somebody pregnant. You want to power through, follow the rules. They're shortcuts to success. Don't question them, just execute on them and watch success come. That's great to be so systematic because I think that's what we need as humans. We need that systematic approach that you offer. So way to go. I want to ask you, Rock, about your routines. You seem to me like you would be the kind of guy that would have daily routines that help keep your success where it is. Is that true? Do you have some daily routines you could share with us? Yeah. I mean, some people I think call me boring a little bit or nerdy, (laughs) but... um, 
I'm a very routine person. I do have my moments of, you know, letting it have a day where it's like off, off the hook. Yeah. But let's say my routine days, which are four to five out of, uh, four to five days out of the week, it's I'm up at four 30. I immediately spend some time with my dog, take him for a walk. I do some mindfulness thoughts while I'm with him or listen to something that's empowering. Mm -hmm. I will often get up the very first thing and I will point at my bed and I'm going, I will make your bed. Alexa, turn on some great music. And um, she may do that now. Be careful. Um, (laughs) And so I dance around the bed. I make the bed because when you make the bed, you get a little sense of of self-esteem. Yes. Right. Uh, it's a simple thing, but you check it off the box and you have the rest of the day, you look at the bed and you go, you know what? I wasn't lazy. My mind doesn't control me. I control it. So it's little things like that. that I do, I go to yoga at five 30. I do an intense yoga mindfulness exercise where I focus mostly on my breathing. And then I come back and I usually get right at it three days a week. I do about five or six hours of stuff like this calls, business calls, accountability, um, email answering. And the rest of the week is usually creativity. So I write, I videotape for my, my podcasts. Um, I will film some stuff for my YouTube channel. And the evening is always about uh, taking my journal and writing down the answer to about 10 favorite questions. But I usually ask, you know, what made me laugh and try to recall that so I can go there. Um, where did I give? What was I proud of? Um, and it let, it's led me, Bruce, to do things like while I'm on my walk with my dog is to text the five or six people that I want them to know that I love them. Uh, it might just be, good morning. How are you? Thinking of you. I love you. And um, it's been remarkable how simple that is. But when you do it more than once a month, you do it consistently it's really a great emotional deposit in the relationship with the people that you care about. So my big thing is get 1% better, Bruce. And the way you do that is you reflect at the end of the day on how you performed that day, how you showed up. And I have one little thing. I, I, I'm sure you have voices in your head like I do. Yes. So I give them different track names, like, you know, the top 20 hits. You and I have some, some voices from the 60s. Not everybody does. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, the golden oldies, you know, our father or mother's voice. So I have one that's called puppy love and I will talk to myself like I talk to my dog uh-huh. and just really nurture myself and love myself, remind myself that I'm doing a great job and, and that um, the little things matter and that I'm cute and that I'm lovely and I'm lovable. So I have all these little tricks that I use to keep myself on the straight and narrow because otherwise, you know what, COVID is an easy way for people to get depressed. I had moments of depression and moments of loneliness, moments of isolation. And if it's happening to me with the tools I have, I guarantee you it's got to be happening to other people. And if they say no, they're probably lying about other things as well. Yeah, for sure. It's a different kind of world. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes I'm lonely. I wish I could talk to, you know, people in person directly right there so I could reach out and touch them. But, you know, that's yeah. the way it is. We're in this world right now. I love what you said about that. You you write down what made me laugh, what I'm proud of. I think we don't laugh enough. So I think that's, that's so important. Yeah. I want to ask you about the topic of bullying because I've worked in this area for for quite a long time. Have you ever had a situation in your life where you were bullied and this really pulled you down? And I just want to ask you if you have a story where maybe mindfulness would have made a big difference in this situation. Do you have something you can share with us, Rock? 
Gosh, I have a few, sadly. Um, yeah. You know, even as an adult recently, I had a company that I started with a, with a few friends and I ended up getting bullied out of the company. Oh, really? Um, and oddly, while I was having a, a corporate meeting, like at a board table, my girlfriend was in the other room and she could hear what was going on. And when I came out, I was just like, well, that was a bit of a tough meeting. And she goes, honey, that wasn't a tough meeting. You just got gangbanged. Mm. And I'm like, what do you mean? Those, they were really, really out to get blood. They had this calculated. They were, they, they came up with, she goes, it's, so I think it happens at all levels. It can happen in any situation. I mean, yeah. Stephen Jobs got kicked out of his own company. Yes, he did. Um, and you know, anytime you get into any situation, politics takes place, cliques get formed and favoritism happens, whether you like it or not. Um, you and I like to eat, you know, I don't know, banana splits after dinner. So we head out and we go get one together. And then before you know it, you both, you and I both have a seat on the board and we're buddies and we make the same decisions together. So I don't think it's all necessarily bad. It's just human experience. Yeah. So mindfulness. Yes. I think, being very, what I've learned, the biggest thing I've learned is to slow down. Mm. The slow way is the fast way. Higher, slow, fire, quick. Um, get into partnerships slowly. I have an experience with those people on many different levels. Go to dinner, play golf with them, meet their family. Um, the slow way is the fast way. And I think that leans into your mindfulness. Uh, listen to your intuition, slow down enough. Does this feel right? What part doesn't feel like it belongs in this room? Think, ask that question. It's a very powerful question. If you ask yourself, what part in this room, in this situation doesn't fit? And you'll come up with a very honest answer. So I've learned to slow down, ask better questions. And there's very little in life I've learned, Bruce, that needs to happen quickly. Yeah, that's, that's very, very profound. A great piece of advice for all of us. And Rock, I really feel like we're connected in some way. You know, in my family, there were seven, seven of us as well. I grew up on a farm in Canada, just like you did. And uh, there are different things. You know, when I've watched some of your videos, I'm like, wow, this really resonates with me, you know, doing work on the farm and, and this kind of thing when I look back. But it's pretty interesting hearing you talk talk because I really believe in your philosophies and I really appreciate the fact that so many of your philosophies are centered on on mindfulness. Now, I, I want to move forward by asking you five quick answer questions, Rock. So just 30 second answers are perfect. And the first one is this, who is the one person that you would say has had the most influence on you as far as mindfulness is concerned? I'm going to cheat and go with two. Tony Robbins. Okay. And then Ananda Giri, who is my guru, Indian guru from India. Uh -huh. So Tony in the real world uh -huh. and Ananda Giri in my private meditation practice. I see. Okay. Did she teach you how to meditate? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. My next question is about emotion. So tell us how mindfulness has affected your emotions, Rock. Well, when emotions go up, intelligence goes down. So it's really about, and that's another practice I do. I'm like, what emotions do I actually want to experience? So if I'm going to go golfing, 
I'm like, what emotion do I want to play? Do I want to be playful? Do I want to be serious? Do I want to be competitive? And I, I choose my emotions before I go out when I'm mindful. When I'm not, I'm reactionary. When I go into a meeting, I choose, I go, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to be direct. I'm going to be forthcoming. I'm going to be conciliatory. So I do my best to choose emotions off of a menu before an event, when I'm mindful, when I'm not, and who the heck knows. Let's talk about breathing. Tell us about breathing and if there's a certain way you breathe or a certain focus on breathing that you have that's, that's part of your mindfulness practice. So through yoga, of course, there's always this breathing through the nose and out. Um, through my meditation practice, I learned ways. I've done some work with Wim Hof and learned about you know, increasing the oxygenation to your cells. And I also recently did some work with Dr. Amy who talked me how to breathe again like a baby through my belly. Most of us shallow breathers and we create these constrictions in our body. And I was, I was up here like this with my shoulders tense without knowing it, creating pain in my lower back. And so now I have a new way of breathing, which is the old way of breathing that the babies do through their belly. And I highly recommend that, um, you know, I say to people, look, you can go without food for probably about 30 days. You can go without water for maybe three. How long can you go without breathing? Not very long. Yeah. So why do we put less importance on the process of breathing than on other things? It's just because we take it for granted. So I definitely have a practice and I definitely spend a lot of time being conscious on how I intake and expel um, oxygen. Rock, I already mentioned that your book is awesome. Can you recommend a book that can help our listeners with mindfulness? Yes. Um, Letting Go by Dr. Hawkins is a great book. Uh, it really has a lot to do with allowing things versus trying to force things. And then either of the books written by Michael Singer, which is The Untethered Soul, I'm sure you know, yep. and The Surrender Experiment. It's all around accepting what is and letting things go versus trying to control, which creates the pain for most of us. You know, change your judgment for curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. I am so impressed by Michael Singer. Just love his books. Is there an app that you can recommend that can help with mindfulness? You know, there's a bunch of meditation ones that I've cycled through Calm and a bunch of different ones. Uh, I have one that is one that you have to purchase uh, a unit that um, Tony Robbins recommends called Nucom, but you have to get an apparatus that puts these electrodes on your um, on your skin, and it's four or five thousand dollars, so it's a little pricey. But I think honestly, anything that gets you into a place where you slow down, there's so many of them out there, um, is probably going to be worth the price that uh, that you probably don't have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of ways to meditate and you don't have to pay a lot of money to do many of those methods. That's for sure. I know that you're located at rockthomas.com and Thomas is T-H-O-M-A-S. Is there any place else we could look online to find you or check out your material? I have a ton of things that, that we've been pumping out on my YouTube channel, Rock Thomas, uh, that are all free. Um, that are mindset oriented and uh, money making oriented, as well as, of course, my podcast, Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. And I'm on all the social media handles as well. TikTok's the rage now. So, um, so I'm a little bit everywhere. And you can find me, rockthomas.com, rockthomas, uh, rocketrockthomas.com. 
calm. It's, you know, today you can't really hide that well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, it's been really great talking to you. I just wonder if you have any final words of wisdom for our, for our listeners to kind of help us just be grounded and be centered and live a, a life of happiness and moving forward. Yeah, I would say that, you know, tell me what you do before eight o'clock in the morning and after eight o'clock at night, and I can pretty much predict the quality of your life. It's easy to fake it during the day, do your nine to five and, you know, go to dinner with people. And then it's in those quiet hours, which you do in private, that's going to really determine how prepared you are for the battle of the day. So I would say have some mindfulness practices, do some meditation, some yoga, some breathing, consume, you know, nothing good, in my opinion, happens after 10 o'clock at night. So that's why I get to bed around 9.30 and I'm up around 4.30. That works for me. It doesn't mean it works for other people. But the quiet of the morning, I guess because I grew up on a farm, um, makes me feel like I've got a head start on the day. So find your rhythm, find your cadence, but make sure that you have something special for yourself in the morning and in the evening, and it allows you to resource. Mindful Tribe, check out rockthomas.com. Check out his YouTube. Check him out on social media. Rock Thomas has so much wisdom to share. Rock, it's been a real privilege and honor to have you on the show today. Thank you. I tell you, your, your voice is so soothing. I feel relaxed and mindful and, and safe and uh, cared for. So your listeners are, um, are blessed to have you leading them. Thank you so much, Rock. You have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Okay. God bless. Yep. Bye now. Bye now. Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening, for subscribing, and for reviewing the show, and for telling your friends about Mindfulness Mode. Thanks also to Erica Flint's Cascade Hypnosis Center for being our valued sponsor. Erica, is a terrific teacher of hypnosis, and I know that because I am a graduate of her program. Now, if you're a healer, a coach, a therapist, a counselor, or just someone who loves helping people, you might want to consider the powerful results that can be achieved with hypnosis. You can learn how to do it. Contact the team over at CascadeHypnosisCenter.com and take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.